The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Super Bowl preview edition of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I am your host, Brett Coleman, here with my co-host, EJ Snyder. We have uh, an amazing, amazing show for you today. We are talking all about the Super Bowl, Tampa Bay hosting Kansas City. For once, we actually have a true home team in the Super Bowl because the Bucks are the first team in NFL history to host their own Super Bowl uh, this game is fascinating on innumerable levels, statistically, uh, narrative-wise. Like it is, it, it's it's probably going to be one of the better Super Bowls we've had in a very, very long time. So, uh, buckle up, we got a long show for you. Uh, but before we get into it, I do want to say thank you to the entire audience for for sticking with us through this entire season. It has been a wild ride. We, we just started this show a little under a year ago now, uh, and, and we've had a hell of a first year to deal with, with you know unprecedented uh, pandemic kind of altering the season in ways that we never even thought possible, a really weird college season that barely happened for, for a lot of conferences. Um, the, the draft this year is going to be wild. I mean, it was wild last year, and it's going to be wilder this year. It was uh, it was a crazy first year to start a football podcast, and I I think I speak for both me and EJ when I say we couldn't ask for a better audience to kind of go through this growth with. And so again, thank you to everybody from all around the world who's just kind of made this podcast their football home. Um, we we really really appreciate it. So that being said, uh, EJ, before we get in the Super Bowl facts and stats and film matchups, how you doing, buddy? And what are you drinking? I'm great. It's Super Bowl week, and although it's a happy, sad week because we have a great football game staring us in the face, it's the last real one for a long time, so there's always that looming, but I'm not going to think about that yet. I'm just going to be happy we've got a great game coming up. Wanted to uh, hop on your comments just saying couldn't wish for a better fan base, better group of people to, to take this ride with, and whether you're brand new to the channel or a bootleg OG. We could not be happier to have you. Uh, bootleg football where football fans are welcome. We hope we have uh, increased your enjoyment of the game. You have certainly increased our enjoyment over the last year. 
And that's been a huge thing, especially during these times. So thank you very much again to folks all over the world. That always kills me. And no, I'm I'm great. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl. We've got some really in-depth information, I think, that's going to help fans know what they're seeing and, and look for certain things and, and maybe be excited or who knows, depending on their fandom, disappointed when they see them. But at least they'll have heard it here first. And to wash all that down, I have a football-themed beer. It is Johnny Utah Pale Ale from Georgetown Brewing right up in Seattle. And uh, Johnny Utah, for those of you not familiar with Point Break, uh, was a big-time football hero in college. Quarterback uh, ends up being in law enforcement in Point Break, played by Keanu Reeves. So in, uh, in honor of some football, I have some Johnny Utah Pale Ale. What do you have? Uh, first of all, that is the superior point break. We don't speak of the remake on this show. There it's was not, a remake? Not, yeah, exactly. I'm just, nah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it doesn't exist. Uh, it, this is a celebratory episode. You know, we're coming to the close of a, a great football season that somehow happened. I still can't believe it did. And so I'm celebrating tonight. I got my McAllen 18. I, I don't break this out often, but when I do, I better have a reason. And I feel like the Super Bowl is as good a reason as any to have an 18-year-old bottle of perfection. But why don't we get into football here? And we're going to start by going through every little nitty-gritty detail that we can for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and how they match up with Kansas City. Luckily, these two teams have already played against each other, so we got a pretty good preview of, uh, of what might go down here. The one trend that I think we saw throughout the season that we are probably going to see quite a lot of again in the rematch, especially if we get the inclement weather that is uh, forecasted, like 71% chance of rain, I, I think last time I checked, is that the Bucks run the ball an inordinate amount of time on early downs, particularly on first down they run it 52% of the time, and in the uh, NFC Championship game, they ran it 65% of the time on early downs, particularly on first downs. So they are uh, they're very much an old-school type of team. <laughs> you know, we, we've seen the league kind of shift away from early down runs. The Bucks are still kind of waving that standard and, and say, no, we're going to pound you on early downs and then try to hit you at play action. They only average 2.9 yards per carry, but it, uh, it, it sure never deterred them. Do you think that we're going to see them kind of go after uh, this Kansas City defense with Leonard Fournette? Absolutely. This is one of the things that's fascinating about this game is the profiles or the tendencies of the two teams. Tampa Bay uh, are who they are or is who they is, however you want to say that. They ran one of the most, uh, one of the highest percentages in the league on first down throughout the year and then in the championship game they doubled down they went from 52 to 65 so they not only said this is who we are but they said we're sticking with it we're not going to throw you a, a curveball right now we're not going to throw you a change up we're throwing you fastball first down and the fastball wasn't very good it's kind of a low 80s fastball 2.9 yards per carry is not something to hang your hat on but they didn't give it up and that is in stark contrast to kansas city we'll talk about them later um, but just wanted to give a shout out as we go through all these numbers, um, Warren Sharp, Sharp Football, at Sharp Football on Twitter, uh, is a football researcher, analytics and stats, put out a massive report 
on the Super Bowl and offered it up to anybody in football media that wanted it. And I absolutely took him up on his offer knowing his work. And it is an incredible document. Didn't even scratch the surface on it, just got it today. But a lot of these uh, facts and figures come from that report. Uh, I dug up some of them on my own, but he's highlighted a, a great amount of stuff. Just wanted to give him credit off the top. But the Bucks running the ball is a fascinating thing because, again, you said the league has moved and they're not terribly good at it. It's not like they're ripping off 5.4 yards a carry and they just keep at it. They know they're not good at it. Everybody knows they're going to do it. They've been very consistent throughout the season and actually amped that up in the playoffs, that tendency. And I don't think they're going to change at this point. If they were going to hop off that horse, they would have by now. And I think they... Bruce Arians, you know, an old school coach, he really does believe in this whole like establish the run to set up play action narrative, which I mean, time and time again has been proven that that's not necessarily true. Like play action works whether you're good at running the ball or not. So it, it they don't have to do it. It That's just, you know, Bruce Arians dug in his heels at this point. So you can just kind of count on them doing. It. I'm not saying it's the best thing, but they are going to do it. However... This is also a team that is very, very, very good at play action. They Again, they don't do it as much as they probably should, but when they do, I mean, they hit big because they have a lot of great vertical weapons. The last time this team uh, played against the Chiefs, they actually popped one to Gronk, too. They came out in 12 personnel, which normally the Chiefs stay in two high shells, but because they came out in 12, they dropped a safety down. So it was single high, and they hit a deep, uh, a deep cross to Gronk on like a Yankee concept off play action. And they do that stuff all the time where it's like, look, we know that, you know, that we're probably going to run the ball. And so the one time they don't, if they get you, uh, if they get behind you, Tom Brady's going to hit that. So again, it's a very old school approach to football of like run the ball through hell or high water and then try to get behind them on play action. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it didn't (laughs) Uh, towards the end of the year. It started to work out more for them. But I don't, just knowing Bruce Arians, I don't think they're really going to stray from that too much. Even with Tom Brady, I I don't feel like they're all of a sudden going to, you know, take like a Kansas City approach and just never run the ball ever, which is what they did the last time these teams played. You know, Kansas City barely ran the ball. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they are going to, especially if it's rainy, pound the rock with Leonard and then just try to hit something deep off play action to Evans, Godwin, Gronk. A, B, I mean, take your pick. And uh, I think it's going to be, you know, kind of like a, a battle of dinking, uh, dinking and dunking with Kansas City versus taking deep shots with Tampa. Yeah, and I, it's funny. It sets the game up in a very particular way if you're doing that. And and we've said, again, the Bucks run the ball on first down. They don't do it very well. That's going to set you up with second long, which is, as a lot of people would say, off schedule or behind the sticks. And it really puts the weight of the game onto the shoulders of the quarterback, which is, again, a very old school concept, right? I'm not going to not going to spread this out. I'm going to concentrate it. And on third down, you're typically going to be looking at third and something. But you are absolutely counting on Brady to be able to hit that shot. And who better to count on than a guy like Tom Brady, who's done it a billion times. But they're going to be passing on third down a lot because of the way they set up the early down run. And that was a ridiculously high percentage in the championship game. 86% of their third downs were passes. Now, that is putting 
the outcome of the game squarely on the shoulders of your quarterback. They obviously have a quarterback to do it, and Brady delivered in that championship game. 64% first down rate on those third downs. So time and time again, he was converting. And if you watched that game, you probably felt that. It's like, oh, they got a third down. Oh, he made it again. Oh, they got a third down. Oh, he bailed them out again. That was absolutely what was playing out on the screen, played out statistically as well. But it's not going to be as easy against the Chiefs as it was against the Packers because those two teams have a very different statistical outcome on third down versus the pass. The Packers have the eighth worst, eighth worst, I can't speak tonight, pressure rate on third down uh, in the league. 34% of the time they get pressure on third down. That is not great. The Chiefs, on the other hand, are second best in the league half the time, 49%. They get pressure on third down. So those conversions that happened over and over and over again for the Bucks on third down with the way they like to set the game up are not going to be so guaranteed against Kansas City. And Kansas City in their game got pressure on Josh Allen on 80%, four out of five on the Bills' third downs. So Kansas City brings it on third down and Tampa's going to have to watch setting themselves up in those positions and just saying, ah, it's okay. Tom will get it for us because against Kansas City, that's not a sure thing. Not near as sure as it was against Green Bay. And the reason why Kansas City's pressure rate so high on third down, by the way, is because they do just wild shit with Steve Spagnuolo. I mean, just yeah, crazy. Yeah, Spags, Spags is a wild man, that's for sure. Uh, it's, it's very, uh, he doesn't really care. <laughs> and I say that in, in the most complimentary way possible. Like he will send pressure from any angle, any level, just crazy coverage rotations. Um, I, I was looking at one from their first game, and it was one that Tom Brady actually hit for 44 yards to Godwin. And I, I, I sent it to Coach Vass, a buddy of mine who's a, you know been a defensive coach forever, uh, one of the great kind of defensive minds in football media. And I sent it to him and I was like, what the hell is this coverage? And he's like, it's a bust. And I was like, well, I know that like Godwin got 44, but what were they even trying to do here? And he's like, oh, well, it kind of looks like stubby, which is a a too high coverage in Saban language. But they had the nickel corner sprinting back to replace the strong safety and the strong safety was supposed to carry Godwin. And I was like, that's weird to run like inverted stubby he's like yeah i've never ever seen that before this is a new thing for me and this is a guy who's like specifically studied like split safety coverages for 15 years and he's never seen this again it didn't work but like i said spags doesn't care he will run anything like he will try anything he'll throw crazy blitzes at you crazy coverages at you and in the first time they played against uh kansas city tampa bay meaning they they really got hampered by that in the first half of the game. And then, then in the second half, that's where Tom Brady kind of started to figure him out. And they made that great comeback where, you know, if there was a few things that went their way, like not having a ball bounce off a, you know, Daniel Sorensen's helmet and get picked off. Like if there was a few things that literally bounced their way, they might have been able to win that game. But in the second half, Tom Brady really started to figure them out. And even with all those crazy rotations and, and crazy blitzes, he was just like, all right, I'm throwing hot here. I'm throwing a stick route there. Um, you know, if you're dropping the ends out, he's like, oh, okay, this looks fancy, but it's literally just cover one rat. Let me throw this out route to a leverage tight end to against Tyron Matthew. Like 
you saw him really figure it out and he was marching up and down the field. So this game is fascinating to me because we are going to see Spags use stuff that we have literally never seen before. And even by Spag standards, we've never seen it before. And it's going to be up to Tom Brady to then see it one time, process it, and then beat it later in the game. If there's anybody in NFL history that can do that, it's Tom Brady. Yeah, you're not going to fool Tom at this point. He's been around a very long time. He studies as hard or harder than almost any player in NFL history. And that's a that's a pretty high bar. There have been some hardcore study rats in NFL history. And, and Brady, famously, his family left him the house for 12 straight days. And he is just digging into film. And he is very good at that. Our buddy Craig Stout, who's a defensive analyst for Arrowhead Pride, the chief site on SB Nation, loves Spags. Absolutely loves that, you know, if you're flipping around the Tampa Bay model, got to risk it for the biscuit, right? Spags will mm-hmm. do that on defense, and Craig loves him for that because, look, it's fun, and it works. We talked about the Chiefs' pressure rate. They have been troubling opponents all year long, but again, they're not going to get – it's going to be much tougher sledding against Tom Brady uh, because he is not easy to fool, but they better not fall behind, and I say that. Uh, Tampa Bay better not fall behind in this game. They fell behind in the first game, and like you said, they made up a lot of ground, and the Tampa Bay pass rush started to work more in the second half. Definitely seemed like they kind of, quote-unquote, ran out of time, but there's a stat that, again, was in Warren Sharp's little uh, Trieste on this game that made me stop and read it like four times, and that's Mahomes is 31 and 0 in his career when leading at the half and not on a short rest week. So like in games that are not Thursday night football basically. That's right. If he is not on 4 days rest, if he is on a full week's rest or in this case more, he's had 2 weeks, he is 31 and 0 when leading at halftime. That means they got the advantage at halftime, he's never given it up. <laughs> and that's that- insane is insane 31 and 0 for a young quarterback has never lost a lead after halftime that's staggering so if the bucks don't want to play with fire because yeah tom brady is probably the one guy in nfl history that might be able to break that streak but i wouldn't want to be trying to roll that rock uphill if you're staring down 31 and 0 they better not get down quick if the chiefs come out like i think they will and we'll talk about that in a bit the Bucks are going to have to try and keep up. The dink and dunk and pound the rock approach is not going to work. If they go down, and I don't care down by how much, down at all in the first half, history says really conclusively, that's not a small sample size, 31 games. That's two full seasons worth of games. Mahomes has never surrendered a lead when up at halftime. So it's in the Bucks' best interest to keep pace and hopefully be you know within a field goal or maybe leading by halftime because if they don't it's gonna be an uphill struggle especially if you know the Chiefs are getting the second half kick and they're able to double up around halftime I mean it's oh that's almost insurmountable I mean and they're one of the teams just like the Patriots used to do with Brady all the time where it's like hey if they got two minutes to work with at the end of the half and they're getting the kickoff that's a 14 point swing more often than not so it's Man, they're an intimidatingly <laughs> explosive team. Um, one thing that I do want to say, though, as I was studying for this game, so I always, with the Super Bowl, every time I study it, um, 
if it's or even just in the playoffs in general, honestly, because we get a lot of playoff rematches every single year. I always like to look at the first game on broadcast and then watch the all 22 because you get a better sense for the timing between plays, you know, like, okay. Yeah. The flow for the, sure. The flow of the game, like who's yeah. tired, who's not, it's not just, you know, looking at stuff in a vacuum, but it's actually seeing like, you know, what's the timing for, you know, somebody getting banged up or somebody getting swapped out because they're absolutely exhausted and, and you need a few reps off. Like, why is he not on the field for certain downs and distances? You know, when are they going? No huddle that kind of stuff, all the context. And so I watched this game on broadcast, the rematch, or the first game between Casey and Tampa. And Tony Romo did that game, and he did a phenomenal job. And the thing that he kept pointing out throughout that game was like, I'm not seeing enough motion. You know, this is a defense that they're going to throw crazy stuff at you. You have to spread out. You have to use motion. You got to get them to declare, am I in man? Am I in zone? You know, don't use condensed formations because it makes it easier to disguise blitzes. And he, he kept harping on that in the first half. And in the second half, we started to see a little bit more motion. And he's like, okay, they're figuring it out. Um, you know, the receivers are actually running hots correctly. They're running away from the pressure and not directly into it where Tom wants. He wants them to run away from it. Um, you know, Evans missed on a couple hots early in the game. Brait missed on one. And then in the second half, they started actually running it how Tom wanted. And Romo started to notice like, hey, this is starting to look a little bit more like New England here in the second half of the game. And there was a stat that you put in our little rundown here before the bye in terms of pre-snap motion on early down passes, which again, Tom likes to throw it on early downs because he likes to use the pass as an extension of the run game. Before their bye week, it was 40%, which is not that high. After that, when they kind of, you know, retooled their offense and have been undefeated since, after that bye week, they're at almost 60% pre-snap motion. So I think after that bye week, which was directly after that Kansas City loss, I think they went back and looked at it and it's like, look, in the second half, we started using more motion. We had more success. Let's just do that for the rest of the year. And then they did, and they never lost again. And they've been one of the best offenses in almost every single metric since the bye week when they retooled their approach to motion. Yeah, if they're smart, they self-scouted. Uh, like you said, they said, hey, look, in the second half, this started to work. But they also scouted the league. They had their pro scouts looking around the league and starting to size up opponents that they might see in the playoffs, the wild cards, the playoffs, champ game, whatever. And they absolutely looked at the Packers. And the Packers were the same way with Aaron Rodgers under Lafleur in the first year. A lot of people have said he was kind of one foot in, that, that Rodgers was one foot in, one foot out of Lafleur's offense for the first half of last year. And the Packers were still pretty successful. But this year, the difference in terms of his sort of MVP caliber season is that he bought in completely. And a big part of Lafleur's offensive package is pre-snap motion and motion during the snap. And Rodgers wasn't terribly comfortable with either one of those things. And this year he said, bag it, I'm with you, use it all. And we saw what happened to the Packers offense. And I am sure that the Buck Scouts looked and said, look, we're probably going to have to play the Packers. What are they doing that we're not? And one of those things was pre-snap motion. And a 20-point swing, for those of you that don't follow NFL stats, is massive. They yeah. were doing it at 40%, and now they're doing it at almost 60% after the bye. Like, that's when it switched. And again, 
if you looked at Tampa Bay's offense, they had fits and starts through the first half of the year, and people were saying things, writing stories like, hey, is is Brady meshing with Arians? Is this ever going to work? You know, are they at cross purposes? Is this offense modern enough? All that stuff got thrown around in the first half of the year. After the bye week, they came out, some of their weapons got healthy, but they also changed tendencies like this, and they became a wrecking machine. I think we're going to see a lot of motion to get into specific looks because I think Kansas City can kind of fall victim sometimes to hyper-focusing on one guy that they want to take away. It's it's very Belichickian sometimes where like if they identify one threat where they're like, we need to get rid of this guy and we'll take our chances with everyone else. They really like to call uh, what's called vice coverage from two high safety looks uh, against like a slot receiver that they identify as a problem. In the Bucks case, that's going to be Chris Godwin most of the time. And then when he's off the field, sometimes they'll put A.B. in the slot. Um, but they, they like to call vice a lot because they're like, look, I would rather get like an inside and out bracket with the safety bracketing the number two receiver, which again is going to be in the slot, and then take my chances with the outside corners using the boundary as their help on the outside then double the outside receiver and then have my nickel corner have to try to guard a, a two-way go from Godwin. So when I watched that first game, that was that was a trend that I noticed a lot, was a lot of vice coverage calls against Godwin and A.B. Evans was mostly outside. They didn't really put him in the slot that much. And then they were leaving Evans one-on-one. And Brady took a lot of shots to Evans because of that. They didn't hit on all of them. But you're probably going to see that again, where it's like they're going to double Godwin, they're going to double AB, they're going to double, honestly, maybe even Tyler Johnson sometimes, if he's in the slot, because they really trust their outside corners more than their nickel corners, and that's going to open up things for Evans. I would not be shocked if we see at least four passes of 20-plus yards, or at least attempts 20-plus yards down the field to Evans by the middle of the third quarter. That's what happened in the first game. And I, I have not seen anything to make me think that that will not happen again because Kansas City wants that to happen. They would rather you try to take a low percentage shot like that than just eat them up in the slot all day long. Yeah, Spags is pretty well equipped for this on defense. Like you said, they're going to bolster the slot and Godwin is arguably a more dangerous receiver. Evans is tremendous. He is a, He is an amazing talent, but again... Evans and the you know with the boundary to help you keep reining him in versus Godwin with whichever way he wants to go. Yeah, I'm also going to stack my defensive resources on Godwin. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the Bucks or maybe haven't watched them a ton this year, they really like Godwin in the slot. 72% of his targets this year were from the slot. Evans, 63% of his targets were out wide. And they slid him into the slot some too in four wides or with AB on the other side. But it is primarily Godwin in the slot and Evans outside. That's the majority of the reps the Bucks offense takes. So look for Spagnuolo to try and lock down Godwin and then use you know guys like Legereus Sneed, who've been very good this year, and the boundary to try and limit Evans' impact. They're going to hit some shots to Evans because Evans is a very good player historically good player if you look at his you know first four or five seasons through the league in terms of the numbers he put up 
But again, it's pick your poison with this offense because there's enough weapons. You can't cover them all. And they're going to try and lock down Godwin, especially when he's in the slot, and then take their chances one-on-one outside with help. There was a, a sequence of events in the fourth quarter, and I, I I think it was like about midway through the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly. And it kind of encompasses a lot of what we talked about so far. And this was leading up to that uh, fourth and three touchdown on the go ball to Evans, if you remember that play. And this was like a, a four-play series that was that game in a nutshell. So it's first and ten. He sees a blitz, expects Cameron Brait to break a certain direction. Hot, he doesn't. Miscommunication, incomplete. So again, the, the chemistry stuff that Romo was pointing out, that reared its ugly head on first down. Second and ten, they do what's called FIB or formation into boundary, a bunch on the left side. So they were on the left hash, and they put a bunch on the short side of the field. So then when Evans was isolated on the other side of the field, outside the numbers, there was a massive amount of space between like basically the, the, the main concentration of passing threats for the Bucks, and then Evans all by his lonesome on the backside. It's called FIB, formation into boundary. Now, the reason why they did that is because even though Kansas City plays in two high shells most of the time, especially on second and 10, they wanted to force their way into getting that one-on-one with Evans for the shot down the boundary, even against two high safeties. Because if you're playing FIB and the bunch is on the short side, that backside safety that is on Evans' side has to play down. Or if he doesn't play down, that is pretty much a guaranteed deep crossing route to Chris Godwin's. So Brady knew, like, hey, if he steps forward even a little bit to play that crossing route, I'm guaranteed one-on-one with Evans. I'm going to take my shot. That's exactly what happened. Again, was not complete because Tarverius Ward played it very well, but that's just one of those things where it's like, we're going to take shot after shot after shot until one of them hits. Then we go to third and 10. They play one of those crazy inverted Tampa 2 coverages. Brady looks at it and says like, okay, it's cover two. Let me take a little <laughs> little flat route to Godwin uh, to pick up seven yards, set up, you know, fourth and three. Now fourth and three comes. This is the, this is the touchdown to Evans, this scenario. Wasn't really too high. Like it, they, they presented it as two high safeties before the snap, but it wasn't really two high safeties because the safety to Evan's side was kind of cheating down and pretending like he was going to blitz. Remember, Spagnolo will do that. He'll bring DBs down and then try to sprint them back deep to get into those two high safety zone looks. He's very risky like that. So even though they were in a too high coverage, the fact that the safety was only five yards off the ball and the fact that Evans had all that space basically, again, just made it one-on-one. Brady looked at the one-on-one, says, I'm going to hit it this time. I missed it last time. Evans beat Ward. Touchdown. So that whole four-play sequence is that entire game in a nutshell and one that I think we're going to see again. There's going to be some miscommunications, probably less now than there were back then. There's going to be shots. They're going to miss on some, but eventually they're going to hit them, especially to Evans. The key is, can Kansas City keep them from hitting more than 50% of those shots? If the answer is yes, they have a good chance. If Tampa's hitting 60, 70% of those shots, they might not win this game. 
Yeah, the Bucks will be stacking points if they're hitting it at that higher rate. I'm gonna I'm gonna bet that Spags is gonna throw a couple of wrinkles in there to keep that rate a little bit lower. But as you said at the top of the show, this is shaping up to be an incredibly close game. And when they get those red zone shots, Kansas City's struggled with red zone defense throughout the season. They're really good in certain parts of it. They're really bad in other parts of it. And one of the things the Bucks would be incredibly wise to do, and they have personnel to do it, is in the red zone, they absolutely need to throw to their tight ends. And those tight ends need to be aligned in line, right on the end of the line of scrimmage, not in the slot. Now, the reason I say that is the Chiefs have overall the worst ranked defense against tight ends in the red zone, period. Doesn't matter where they're lined up. But they're also significantly worse at defending tight ends in line than they are in the slot. So the Chiefs, that is to say, the Chiefs are better against tight ends who line up in the slot in the red zone than they are against ones that line up tight to the offensive line, what we call in line right off the offensive tackle. So playing the percentages, and look, Tampa Bay's got good tight ends, right? They got Gronk and they got Brait, two very viable red zone targets. And they would be wise to come out, line both of those guys up in line and play them tight because percentages say KC plays that worse than almost any other team in the league. And Tampa Bay's got some horses to run there. They're going to maximize their chances down in the red zone if they use that formation and throw to those players. Yeah, it was a it was a rough day at the office for uh, for Kansas City the last time they played against Gronk, and that's probably where a lot of those inline stats come from is just from that one game because he ate them alive. Didn't matter if it was Tyron or Sorensen. Sorensen's he handles most of their tight end duty, but Gronk beat him specifically for a first down. I remember on a slant where he just kind of bodied him. Um, the the uh, the deep over for like 40 plus yards. I can't remember exactly whose fault that was, but because um, it was a one high, it was a spin to one high, and I can't remember who was supposed to cover him. And they just kind of bit on the run fake. But either way, again, it's it's those those inline tight ends, particularly in heavier personnel packages, where you can get them to bite on play fakes, or at worst, if it's man coverage, they can get kind of beat up by uh, by bigger bodies at tight end. This game is kind of tailor-made for a vintage Gronk performance, just like we got last time. And when you add everything up here in terms of taking shots to Evans, you know, taking shots to Gronk off play action, being able to run the ball in short yardage. Remember, Kansas City is the worst defense in the entire league at, at stopping short yardage run. It, like They give up half, uh, let's see, 51%, I think, if I remember correctly, first downs on short yardage runs, which is 32nd in the league. Meanwhile, the Tampa Bay's offense is like top five in power success rate. So when you add things up, good uh, or uh, bad against inline tight ends can pro- potentially struggle, I should say, against deep shots to Evans, not being able to stop short yardage runs. I don't really think that Kansas City's defense matches up well here. Like even going back to the first game, I know they didn't score a lot on them, but Again, you had a couple really bad bounces Tampa's way. There were some miscommunications that should have gone for first downs that just didn't because Evans and Brayton, all these guys were not on the same page with Brady. Like, it was a different offense back then. And I think the modern Tampa offense that we've seen evolve over the last couple months, they're going to score and probably score a lot. And I think this game is going to come down to, can Pat Mahomes on... One foot, I guess is fair to say. Can he outlast 
the onslaught of Tom Brady. He probably can because he's Patrick Mahomes, but I do not think we're in for a defensive battle here. I think we are in for a 25-plus for both teams type of scoring thing here. Like, I whatever the over is, I'm going to bet the over. <laughs> yeah, and it, it also comes down to how stubborn Tampa's going to be, right? We can sit here with all these stats and say, hey, the percentages say you should do this. The percentages say you should throw to this player. Um, the percentages say that Kansas City is the fourth best in the league against third down passes, but 32nd last in the league against third down runs. So if it's third, you should probably run a couple times because your chances to convert are much better. We can say all that stuff and Bruce Arians can still say, don't care. I'm running it on first down. <laughs> don't care. I'm going to play it <laughs> tight to the vest because it's playoff football and I'm an old school coach. And I'm going to I'm going to grind it out and take a few shots, but I am not just going to fling the ball over like how Tampa Bay actually reacts to all this information or processes or chooses and creates exactly what you were talking about in the in the TV replay or the flow of the game depends on how Tampa Bay chooses to utilize all this information, because don't kid yourself. They have all this information and much, much, much more. It's how they choose to use that, use that and say we are or we are not going to flex to that. So they have the potential, I think, to throw up a ton of points. But if they try and be stubborn against the straight, like say on third down, they throw every time. Kansas City is fourth best in the league against those, right? You're going you're gonna to hit less of them by percentage. So it'll be fascinating to see how they flex or change or say, forget it. We're going to run what we brung. We're going to ride the horse that got us here. And we're going to play it like we've played it. So that's going to be the balance of the game. But you're right. It has potential. Kansas City's defense is not infallible. It is risky. Uh, they do have places where they struggle. It's not like you cannot put up points against Kansas City. And who better to do it than Brady and all those weapons? So it's a, it's a fascinating mashup that way. And I just go back to what I think is kind of a hidden X factor. Tom Brady, having 12 days alone in his house, no family distractions, no kids, it's at his home stadium, doesn't need to travel. You give that man 12 days to watch film on every snap you've taken this year and, and look at trends, go through his playbook, th figure out things that he likes, install new things that he likes. Get with Byron Leftwich and say, look, I want to do this, 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 if we get this certain look, which percentage-wise we'll probably get this look, so I want to do this. Here's uh, you know, a code word for a certain check that I want to put in if they rotate into this. Like This is going to be a, a fascinating game plan, I think, for Tampa because they have such an advantage of having a quarterback like Tom Brady that is basically a coach on the field. And Tom Brady having more time by himself to study than maybe for any game he's ever played in his life, because this is a home Super Bowl. This is going to be amazing. Yeah, it is. We talked about movie remakes at the top of the podcast. Did you ever see the the A-Team remake with Liam Neeson? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you have the right attitude about it of like, look, I'm going to disassociate this from what the actual A-Team is, and I'm just going to enjoy a popcorn flick. Yes, I've seen it. <laughs> Yes, I've seen it. And I took the same approach and I actually really enjoyed it because of that. And there's a line in there when Liam Neeson says, look, 
You give me five minutes, I'm good. You give me an hour, I'm great. You give me six months, I am unbeatable. (laughs) And it's the same thing as Tom Brady, right? You give me five seconds at the line of scrimmage, I'm good. You give me a halftime adjustment, I'm great. You give me 12 days in my house with tape, good luck. You better pack a lunch. Yeah, Spags is Spags has his work cut out for him. But if any coordinator, honestly, in NFL history has given him has given Tom Brady more trouble than anybody else, it's it's Steve Spagnuolo. So like I kind of believe in him too. I, I I honestly can't wait to uh to dive into the tape, regardless of whatever the result is, because I think uh the the mental battle at the line of scrimmage between these two guys, you know, Tom versus Spags and Tyron and you know, Thornhill and all these guys and all their rotations. I think it's going to be legendary. Yeah. It's setting up to be a classic for sure. Yeah. Before we get into uh, talking about Kansas city specifically and all the numbers and all the trends and all the, the film stuff that we've gone through with them. I do want to take a moment to thank this week's sponsor, purple mattress. Purple Mattress has been the most innovative sleep system on the market for over 15 years now, and it's all because of their own unique patented technology, the Purple Grid. The Purple Grid, if you have not heard of it, is over 1,800 open-air channels inside your mattress that keep you cool and comfortable throughout the night. They are all highly flexible to relieve pressure on your body, no matter your size, no matter your body type, no matter how you sleep. I can tell you from experience, having felt that grid myself when they sent it to me and EJ a long time ago, it is an extremely cool design. The vertical channels, they don't really look like they can support weight, but then when you actually feel it, you really understand how it works. It's it's kind of amazing technology, how it, how it flexes and supports your entire body weight. It's a really, really strong material, not hot at all, again, because of those open air channels, very comfortable. I love it. It's a really, really great mattress. And in fact, Purple is so confident in their mattress for you as well that every single order comes with a 100-night risk-free trial. Every single mattress also ships for free and is delivered right to your door. And at the end of your trial, if you're not completely satisfied, they will come pick up your mattress at no cost to you. So if you want to try it out for yourself, go to purple.com slash bootleg10 and use promo code bootleg10. And for a limited time with that code, you'll get 10% off of any Purple mattress order of $200 or more. Again, that is purple.com slash bootleg10, promo code bootleg10, for 10% off of any order of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply. With that being said, EJ, let's dive into Kansas City because this team uh, just continues to fascinate me week after week. And I kind of want to open up with this. And I'm doing a film room on it, which I'm releasing. It'll probably be out by the time this podcast is out, to be honest, because I'm almost done editing it. When you watch... The Chiefs, for the majority of the regular season, you know, this fast and loose, you know, home run hitter play style, you know, we're going to strike out a lot, but we're going to throw bombs down the field, you know, devil may care attitude. When you watch them for most of the year and then you watch them against Buffalo last week, it is an entirely different team. I'm talking 76% of their throws, 10 yards or less, RPOs out the yin-yang, most of the throws either over the middle of the field or to Patrick Mahomes is right because they were trying to protect him from having to pivot on that injured uh, left big toe. At least I think it's his big toe that has turf toe on it. 
So not many throws to the left so that he didn't have to pivot on that toe, mostly concentrated to the middle and to the right. Again, lots of RPOs, only took one shot down the field of 20 yards or more, and it was on their very first possession. So uh, this was a, a wildly different Chiefs offense than what we're used to, but also extraordinarily effective. Buffalo had no answer for it, especially for the RPOs. Uh, it was just dink and dunk central. You're able to pick up lots of yards after the catch with all their speed. So I, I found it fascinating that they were still able to have a lot of really big plays, and Pat was still able to throw for well over 300 yards and three touchdowns, despite not really stretching the field like we're used to. I'm talking like 20% of the amount of deep throws as what we normally see from them, and yet it still worked. Yeah, the fascinating thing, well, there's many fascinating things about Kansas City. We could go on and on about their team building and the diversity of talent that they've assembled on offense. Um, I heard a great interview with Brett Veach about how they decided to do that and what their priorities are for each piece in that offense this week leading up to the Super Bowl. I forgot the interviewer, and that's my bad. I'll try and dig that up and put it in the comments. But Kansas City is endlessly fascinating, and it's not just that their offense has been one way for the whole year because we've also seen this at other times throughout the year. You remember the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire game? Sorry, Clyde Edwards-Elaire game where they just Buffalo. fed yeah. him over and over again and suddenly Kansas City was a running team? Again, for a week, it never happened again. But for that week, it was like, oh. And a lot of people at that point, which was fairly early in the season, about a third of the way through the season, went, oh crap, they can do anything they want. They can <laughs> run it at will, they can toss it deep, and then they go to Buffalo and again, the amazing chameleon that is the Kansas City offense, and I mean that from Andy Reid all the way down, is they can adapt. And they said, this is what we have. We have Pat with one foot. We have all these playmakers with speed. We've got a dinged up offensive line. What can we do with that? Hey, we can run it like we did before all this talent was fully assembled with Alex Smith. And we can mimic that game plan. And sure enough, not only did it work, it worked to perfection. But Kansas City's been able to flex all year to their opponents. And that's very Belichickian, right? That was the hallmark of the Bill Belichick Patriots teams for all those years is they would come out one week and it's all big formations and they're just pounding people with LeGarrette Blount. And the next weekend, they're spreading it four wide and they're throwing, again, a more modified West Coast approach, right? Short passes, a lot of crossing, a lot of yak yards. And then, you know, three weeks later, when they had big receivers on the outside, Randy Moss and the like, they'd throw deep shots. And it was like, what do you do against these guys? Every week they show up and they're perfectly aligned to attack what we don't do well. And Kansas City is similar, not the same, but similar to that. So I expect that setup to change again for this week because Pat says his toe is almost 100% healthy. This is a weird thing about a COVID Super Bowl. Kansas City hasn't traveled yet. They don't have to travel until the end of the week. All the media stuff is virtual. No distractions, no being there for media week and all that. We're locking players down so that they don't get caught out before the, the Super Bowl. That's not happening. And a sort of hidden side benefit of that is Pat's been getting treatment 
at his home medical facility at the stadium for much longer than he would have in a previous year. So his toe probably is as good as it's going to get. He says it's good. We might have him come out and just unleash the dragon, to quote the old Rex Grossman t-shirt, right? They might just come out whipping the ball because he's feeling great, and all of a sudden the deep shots are right back to the previous level. And quite frankly, if they do that, Tampa's going to have their hands full because they're not built particularly well to defend against that. I, I, first of all, I don't believe that his toe is close to 100%. I believe it's better, but turf toe does not magically get better in three weeks. No way. Like, it's, that is not an injury that heals that quickly. Especially because we know it was affecting him because they completely built their game plan around him not using that foot two weeks ago. So... I don't believe that it's close to 100%. It's probably better. It's not close to 100%. That being said, in terms of coming out and, and winging it deep and everything like that, that did work in the first half against the Bucks the last time they did it. But that's also because Tampa was playing with fire, a lot of single high safety coverages. So they were getting burned on those deep crossing routes, a lot of man coverage, which they don't have any corners that can run with Tyreek Hill, as evidenced by the fact that he had like 200 yards in the first 15 minutes of the game. <laughs> like, I, I don't think they're going to do that because in the second half of that game, it was mostly two high safety shells, mostly zone. Like, we're going to play from the top down and force you to dink and dunk, which, you know, for a long time, that probably would have really, you know, hampered the Chiefs because they struggled against that multiple times against Atlanta, against Denver, um, at times against Miami before uh, there were some injuries that knocked out a few key players from Miami, and then they popped off with, uh, with a couple big plays against backup safeties. But, you know, playing from the top down, zone coverage, um, for a long time this year, that would have been the bane of Kansas City's existence until the AFC Championship game, where they proved we can dink and dunk. We can just get the ball out quick and rely on yards after catch. We can do that now. That was the first time all year that they were really good at that. <laughs> and they picked a hell of a time to get good at it. So I I don't think that they're going to stretch the field deep. A, because I don't believe that Pat's 100% right now. He, he'll play. He'll be great because he's Patrick Mahomes. But I don't believe he's 100%. And B, I think that they want Tampa to play too deep like they did in the second half last time. And I think they want to go at them just like they went against Buffalo with short passes get the ball out quick, get yards after catch, and force them to tackle in space. Buffalo couldn't do it, and I think they want to see if Tampa can, which, good luck, (laughs) you know, against all these yak threats. Good luck with that. Also, the reason why I don't think they're going to, you know, hold onto the ball forever and take deep shots, I think the Chiefs have, like, one healthy lineman from the beginning of the year at this point. Like, this is the most injured offensive line that I've ever seen make a Super Bowl. But because they were able to, again, get the ball out before pass rushers could even barely get out of their stance from Buffalo, it didn't really matter. Like, he was only pressured 11 times the entire game on almost 40 attempts against Buffalo, even with a mostly, like, 80% backup offensive line uh, after Eric Fisher went down, that is. So I think that they have to throw quickly to protect a largely backup offensive line to protect their somewhat still injured quarterback and to attack uh, the the likely soft zones we're going to see from Tampa. 
So I think all signs point to dink and dunk and dink and dunk and dink and dunk. And and the question is, is that going to be enough to keep up with Tom Brady? Yeah, this is the point that you'll see in most mainstream media for the week of the Super Bowl is that the Chiefs offensive line is really beat up and the Tampa offensive line is really good at getting pressure. So how can the Chiefs possibly win? You will see that point hammered home over and over. I've already seen it in the buildup this week. You're going to see it all the way up until the game. Regardless of that, Kansas City is not going to react by pounding the rock. It is the one thing (laughs) that they will not do. And I've seen a few meatballs pop out of the woodwork and go, yeah, they're going to run the ball like 35. And I'm like, no, they're not. (laughs) Not against Vita Vea. (laughs) We saw this. Yeah, we saw this without Vita Vea in the first matchup, right? In week 12, they still couldn't run the rock. They had zero success running the rock on first down against the Bucks without Vita Vea. They know that the Bucks' run defense is one of the very best in the league, and they're not even going to try it. They're going to come out and throw. Now, we could say throw long. We could say throw short. Maybe not agree on that, but we can agree they are absolutely going to come out throwing and not running because they know, for the most part, they are not going to crack that wall. Tampa Bay is extremely good at run defense, and they're not so good at a few areas of pass defense where the Chiefs really excel. And some of it's that game plan from Buffalo, and some of it's throughout the year. And it's really interesting because it's those middle middle shots, middle depth, four to eight yards. And Casey is one of the very best past offenses in the league, not surprising to anyone who's watched them this year, at those shots. And the Bucks are terrible at defending that. They allowed a 74% success rate on those mid-range passes. Second worst of any defense in the NFL. Mid-range, right? Again, their deep secondary, pretty good. And the short stuff with all their physical corners, they're pretty good against. But those middle passes, they're second worst in the NFL. And the Chiefs absolutely tear at that distance. This is this is potentially one of the largest mismatches of the game, is mid-range passing from KC against the Bucks mid-range passing defense and it doesn't look good for the Bucks right now so regardless of what they throw again we can say this is the most effective thing for you to throw or this is the most dangerous thing for you to throw Kansas City's going to throw against the Bucks guaranteed I think when you look at this Kansas City offense is likely going to have to take a lot of little bites out of the apple instead of one big bite the key is can we get four yards on every single play? Because if you can get four yards on first down, second down, and third down, you're going to move the chains. You're going to keep the offense on the field. Can we get at least four yards? What is the easiest way to do that against Tampa? It's not running inside zone right at Ndamukong Sue and Vita Vea. It is Jamel Dean being six or seven yards off, and you throw a little smoke route to Tyreek and say, go get me some yards. It is, you know, getting a slant from Meekle against, you know, Murphy Bunting. It is getting Travis to run a choice route against Devin White or what maybe Winfield again, because that's a size mismatch. As much as we love Winfield, Travis Kelsey is one of the five greatest tight ends to ever lace up cleats. So, yeah, I'd probably take Kelsey in that matchup. It is 
all of those things, as you said, short and medium passes, they're going to get them consistent yards and keep the offense on the field. If any of these Chiefs running backs got more than 12 carries, I would be surprised. And I, I would honestly be surprised if they even added up to 18 to 19 carries total. Unless somehow like they're blowing out Tampa and they're running the ball just to burn clock, which I don't think is going to happen. If they even got close to 20 carries total amongst these running backs, I would be surprised because that is not the way to get yards. You got to attack Jamel Dean. You got to attack Sean Murphy Bunting. If you get Tyreek on Carlton Davis and it's one-on-one, sure, go ahead, take your shot. He can't run with him. I don't think they're going to do that again, but if you get it, might as well take it. Those are the plays they're going to focus on because not just analytically, but just using the eye test, there is no way in God's green earth that I am running at that interior Bucks defensive line. I'm just not doing it. No, and I think they're going to replace it with some some passes to the backs as well. So they're, they're not going to be rushes, but they're essentially going to be rushes. And I'll guarantee you one that both Reed and Biennemi are salivating for is a little Texas route to Whiteside when he blitzes. They want this route. I guarantee you they've got this one earmarked in their playbook. And if they have one of those plays called running back to his side, looks like he's lining up to be the blocker on, you know, play action pass. And they run a little Texas route behind in the vacuum where he blitzes. I guarantee the Chiefs want that play. That's just that's just one of my fun ones that I'm sitting on. But there's a really interesting combination for the Chiefs offense that they use all the freaking time that Tampa is terrible against. And it is a combination of pre-snap motion and play action on the same play. So having somebody in motion before you snap the ball and then using play action after you snap the ball. That is a combination the Chiefs almost lead the league in. They are really good at using both of those things on a single play. If you've watched any of their replays, this is no surprise for you. There's a ton of motion in the Kansas City offense. The Bucs defense is terrible against that particular combination. 24th in EPA and 22nd in yards per attempt when that combination comes against them. So they're bottom third in the NFL. And here's your crazy fact of the week. Despite the Bucks being horrendous at defending that combination, no team in the playoffs has used that combination against the Bucks once. Not one play. And, and you know what's hilarious about that? In the last time these teams played, the very first play of the game, it was Tyreek Hill on jet motion, with a, uh, a run fake going the other way. And then off that jet motion, they converted into a wheel route down the sideline against two deep safety look, and, and Pat Mahomes hit the whole shot on it. It was pre-snap motion, which, which I guess technically you can call it at the snap motion too. Play action, wheel route, 34 yards, yes please. Very first play. <laughs> so if you can find anybody that'll give you the bet, and you probably can't, Bet that that trend is going to end because I guarantee, I guarantee 1,000% that Kansas City will use pre-snap motion and play action on the same play and the Bucks struggle mightily against it. So this is another potential mismatch where the Chiefs are absolutely going to use that combo because they have all year to great success. Brett just pointed out a singular play from the last game when they played. In fact, first play of the game where they had great success, 
The Bucks haven't gotten any better. This isn't one of those second half stats that's increased for them through the back half of the season. They're just rough at dealing with that combination. Their defense does not react well to it. And Kansas City does it all the freaking time. I'd say at least a third of their plays have both of those elements. So we're going to see this and we're going to see whether the Bucks can deal with it or whether they get burned by it. You know what's interesting to me now that I think about it? Almost every single stat, trend, thing we notice on film about this entire game has been about how neither defense can stop either offense. I don't think I've seen one thing that is pointing to defensive success for either team in this game. The only one is Kansas City's success against pass on third down. They're fourth best in the league at that. So again, if you're on third down against Kansas City, you should probably try a couple of runs because you're more likely to have success. But I'm with you. This is about how these offenses are going to be picking apart the defenses. And isn't that 2020 in the NFL in a nutshell, right? The the entire league is slanted towards points. Offensive holding has become a non-call anymore. Pass rushers typically don't get over 10 sacks. Uh, you can't touch a quarterback and get his jersey dirty or it's three flags from all three officials that were close. Like the entire league is skewed towards points and offense. We know that in every call, in every rule and everything else. So to have two offenses that are humming at high levels that defenses are going to have trouble stopping, the NFL is just licking its marketing chops at this particular matchup. It's going to be a really good matchup because both offenses Operate at high levels. Both offenses are loaded with weapons. We're not talking about two or three superstars and and a cast of characters. There's legitimately five and six options deep. In the case of the Chiefs, seven or eight options deep that can all score. The NFL is ridiculously pleased with this outcome. Before I get out of here, I got one question for you. (laughs) <laughs> the beer was good. Thanks for asking. <laughs> okay, I have two questions for you. <laughs> right now, Chiefs are favored by three. Mm. Over under is 56 total. Ooh. Who do you Ooh. got to win? Yeah. And do they hit the over? Ah, so it's it's three questions. <laughs> three questions. Three questions. Yes, the beer was good. Uh I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I have a hard time betting against Mahomes. He has so much magic in his arm and can turn any game on one play. It really just does take that. I don't think the Bucs still have a good answer for Tyreek Hill. And Tyreek Hill is playing this game fairly healthy. I know Mahomes' toe is screwed up, but we've seen Mahomes throw without his toe, without his hips, without his shoulders. And he can rip it. There, there are so many examples of him absolutely throwing 45 yards on a line and hitting a guy between the numbers. He does that once to Tyreek Hill, and he's on Carlton. That's that's touchdown. So I think the Chiefs get probably one more of those than the Bucks do. I'm going to say Chiefs win uh, the over. Uh, I'm going to take the cheap cop out and say it really depends on the weather. Because if it's monsooning, like they say it's going to be, if this game is played in a 
massive downpour and it's a slog, you do really limit the effectiveness of players like Tyreek Hill. And you you start to lean a little bit more towards the Bucks game, right? They have a very strong offensive line. You can pound the rock with Leonard Fournette, whereas the Chiefs are not going to have that to fall back on. We just talked about that, that no matter what, the Chiefs are not going to run very well. And if it gets super sloppy and wet, that tilts it in the favor of Tampa Bay and the under. If it stays fairly dry, I would say Casey in the over. How's that? I agree on all counts. A dry game favors Kansas City. A wet game favors Tampa Bay. I have two rules in life at this point, and it's don't bet against playoff Mahomes and don't bet against playoff Brady, and they kind of cancel each other out. So it's uh, this is a hard game to pick, but I... You want the real answer? What's that? I don't care. <laughs> I want to I want to see a good game. I mean, people say and people have been asking me all week on radio and you know, just people I run into like, "Who you got? Who you got?" And the answer is, I got a good game. Like if this is 52 to 10 for some ungodly reason, I'm going to be terribly disappointed. I'm going to hate that. If this is, you know, 34 32 i'm gonna be out of my seat most of the time it's gonna be great i think that there's an interesting point and i can't remember who made it of if mahomes beats brady in this super bowl it cracks the door a little bit for him to eventually maybe make a run at his legacy if oh Tom yeah beats pat in this super bowl that slams the door shut and i could not agree more yeah, it's going to be very... Look, Brady's legacy, when you really start digging into the numbers, and I am not the biggest numbers guy. Um, I was I was watching a, a live stream earlier in the week that we were invited to, and uh, they got into a Brady argument. Let's just put it that way. And I, and I watched both sides, and they did it. They did it respectfully. It was, it was interesting. But numbers, uh, numbers can be skewed anyway. But if you really start digging in, there are so many ridiculous, ridiculous Brady numbers like his legacy is already pretty unassailable on multiple fronts I don't I don't care how you look at it or who you blame for all that success the bottom line is there is a massive pile of it that we are not likely to see again for some time and it's a great point that if Pat whoops him in this it's not likely that Brady's going to come back next year and and beat Pat again, right? One of the two of them will probably not make it. This is the moment, right? They're going to meet head-to-head. People have talked about a passing of the torch, right, between the current GOAT and the guy that is set up to absolutely look like the next GOAT for a while because he's Pat. <laughs> if you're objective and you look at the league right now, it is Pat Mahomes and then a gap, and I don't care what quarterback you like, and then a gap, and then a bunch of other good quarterbacks, right? Even if you're talking about the top five, it is one and then a large gap to two through five because Pat is on his own level. And we t- we said this on our podcast when he signed his contract. He didn't set the level for quarterbacks. He just set the level for Mahomes because <laughs> Mahomes is an alien and people aren't going to realistically be able to roll their agent into a negotiation and go, well, Pat got, so my guy, because everybody's going to laugh him out of the room and go, your guy's not Pat. 
right? Because nobody's Pat. Yeah. Right? So Pat's on his own level. And he is right now, if you're looking at the landscape of the league, the only guy that conceivably you can kind of squint and, you know, roll your finger up and look down the horizon and say, you know, if he keeps this up, he could approach those numbers. But even so, they're really far off because Brady's been stacking them for 20 years. Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's the old, like, uh, Randy Moss versus Jerry Rice argument. You know, are we talking peak or are we talking longevity here? The fact that Brady has an argument for both is pretty jaw-dropping. But Yeah, I'd say Rice uh, has an argument for both, too. I mean, yes, uh, you know, Moss's peak was higher, but in no way does that compare to what Jerry did because his peak was pretty damn high, too. It's not... Uh, I would hate for for younger football fans who are not familiar with either the full career of like Jerry Rice to compare him to somebody like Frank Gore and be like, you know, Frank Gore, very good no, player yeah, no. for a long time, but never like transcendent. Jerry Rice for a long time in the middle of his career was the man and there was no question. I don't I don't think I ever said that about Frank Gore. Maybe a better comparison is like Tony Gonzalez versus Travis Kelsey. Yeah, peak was pretty high for Tony, but not as high for as long as is Kelsey. And we could get into these arguments forever, but Kelsey is, they're, they're both fantastic, strangely enough. They both played for the Chiefs. But um, no, it is it is really interesting. It's shaping up to be a fantastic game and, and all the sort of, that stuff is really fun. The legacy stuff, the look down stuff. People are going to look back at this game it is really setting up to be a very good Super Bowl. There have been Super Bowl games that, quite frankly, I've not been excited about, either because of one team playing or just how they rolled into the playoffs. And I was like, man, they're going to get massacred. This is as even a Super Bowl, even with the Chiefs offensive line being beat up, because again, Pat is a great equalizer there. It is a very difficult game to call, and that just makes it awesome. We're going to get a lot of beer, a lot of wings. A lot of nachos and enjoy some damn good football. That's all I care about. So I'm I'm pumped. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. And don't forget, I got more t-shirt mock-ups today. The bootleg store will be opening soon. I got to see all the team versions today, so that's coming soon. We'll be blasting that out as well. But in the meantime, enjoy the Super Bowl. It's going to be tremendous. Um, if your team is playing, I hope they win. If your team is not playing, I'm hoping for a tremendous game between two Uh, as we said, elite offenses, and just sit back and enjoy it. We'll see you guys back here in a few days for our Super Bowl recap. And until then, stay healthy, eat a lot of good food, drink a lot of good beer, let's enjoy some football. Later, boys.